chapter 17. We'll be there in just a few minutes. Our secular calendar tells us that in the next few weeks, there will be a great amount of turkey consumed, football watched, family gathering around tables, and I'm not sure what it's like at your place, what your traditions are when you think of Thanksgiving, but uh, they're warm memories for me, even some of the things that are kind of past and if they've seen their time, they're a little bit over. I remember as kids, we were all uh, gathered around the table and we were going to make our own pilgrim or Indian costume there at the table with all the cousins and the aunts and the uncles around. This consisted of taking a uh, paper bag from the grocery store and cutting it down the middle and put armholes out the side and you decorate it and you put on that jacket for the pilgrims and then you would make a hat and the one brave soul would choose to break from the ranks to be an Indian and we would have our own Thanksgiving reenactment of that Thanksgiving, the first one here in this land at least. I remember taking an apple and there would be instruction from my aunt and we would stick toothpicks into it and there would be gumdrops that would be on that apple and somehow it would make a turkey, but mine never made it to that stage because I would eat the gumdrops before the creation was finished. Now I remember it's a big deal around our place, at least at a certain time, of who got to sit at the grown-ups table and, and there would be a, a number of people that wouldn't match right with the seats that are on the table and so every year there'd be one child who got bumped up to the grown-ups table. It would cause great division among the ranks of the cousins of who got to sit at the big table. But with all those traditions and things that would happen, I'll never forget the memories that were impressed on my heart of Every Thanksgiving when we gather together, there'd be a family verse that we would memorize from Scripture before anybody could eat, before anybody could turn on the TV. We had to almost, in a mantra form, uh, quote this Scripture, and it would be riveted deep in our heart. The year that I was the most hungry was the year that 1 Corinthians 15.33 got driven into my mind. Bad company corrupts good character. I don't know at that moment that I thought about what that meant, but I knew it was the password to get me to more gravy or turkey or whatever it may be. I want you to take a second before we dive into God's Word and look for some truth for us tonight uh, in the area of Thanksgiving, but turn to the person around you and, and ask them, if you can think of one tradition that was one that you enjoyed, that, that you like, that either your family still carries on, or maybe one that has lost its way but it's warm in your heart, what would that be? Find someone around you, you have one minute and six seconds, not long, uh, to share and hear a family tradition that they enjoyed and that you enjoy. On your marks, find that person around you that you want to talk to. Get set, go. What are the family traditions that your family practices that you enjoy? Go ahead and switch. If you haven't switched, hear what the other person has to say, what their tradition is that they enjoy. I'm not sure what it is that you just heard, but I know that in a few weeks we're going to be gathering with family and friends, many of us, and the traditions that we have experienced and will experience will vary greatly. 
Some of you will enjoy a formal dinner around the table with lace tablecloth, the best china that your family has with candles lit in that formal environment. Others will experience a, a less formal version of Thanksgiving, filling your styrofoam plates, grabbing your plastic silverware, and heading to TV trays to watch the remnants of the football game that may be on. But nonetheless, that most will have pumpkin pie. Now, now, this isn't from God's Word, but I want to remind you the right way to eat pumpkin pie. You shouldn't see any orange on pumpkin pie. If you do, then there's a problem. There should be enough whipped cream that there is no orange anywhere. Now, most people do this correctly when, when it's presented to you, but when they cut the, the piece of pie, there's a problem because there's orange on either side. The appropriate thing is either to take the white stuff on top and move it down on the sides or ask for more and put that on there. But that's free. That has nothing to do with God's Word, but that's just some Thanksgiving advice. Thanksgiving starts a holiday craze for our culture. TV advertisements and Christmas holiday music begin to fill the places that we do business, even places that the rest of the year would not have anything to do with the name of Christ. Decorations go up in lawns and friends and family get ready for a Thanksgiving Day feast followed by a Black Friday, the one that keeps everybody in the black, supposedly. And if we're not careful, this Thanksgiving can turn into a Thanksgive me. I threw a curveball to our media team to, tonight and there is not a PowerPoint here for you. Guys, I should have told you that. If you're frantically looking, I'm sorry. Uh, I should have told you sooner. But, but if you like to take notes, if that helps you track uh, with me tonight, that first line there is, if we're not careful, Thanksgiving can turn into a thanks give me. You would think that during this time of year when a specific holiday is dedicated to giving thanks, it would be a part of our holiday experience for many of us. But Far too often, even those of us around the things of, of God, Thanksgiving is a lot of things, but thanks is quite uncommon. We might go around the table to share one or two things that we're thankful for quickly after we dive into a huge feast, but we begin to see that that fades in comparison to the other traditions that we hold dear. And there's nothing wrong with those traditions, but what would it be like if Thanksgiving would be more than just turkey and gravy and football and pumpkin pie with whipped cream. Today I want us to look at a theme that is often talked about at this time of year, but one I wonder what it would look like if we would allow it to really take root in our heart again. A theme of uncommon thankfulness. I want to challenge us to start asking this question, and you can jot this down. Do I think to thank? Is it something conscious in my mind that I will stop and I'm going to think about how thankful I am? Now, I've seen this thing that's taken place over Facebook. There is a trend where people are taking a number of days and they're listing the things that they are thankful for. And there's some intentionality in that. But well, what if that would go beyond just social media? What if that would permeate our vocabulary? Not just now, but what if it would happen all throughout the season? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my lips is a, a verse that we just heard and we even sung through tonight. I think it ties to this text in a very significant way. I think about some things for us at Thanksgiving that remind me of what I call the Thanksgiving glass. This glass represents your life. The water in the glass represents the stuff in your life. But 
As at Thanksgiving, it's not so much of a question of is this glass half full or, or half empty. It's not, you know, am, am I really excited about what is filling my glass, but could it be that I am thankful for the glass itself? Am I thankful for the very life that God has given to me? And see, when we begin to see that our very glass, our very life, no matter if it's full of the things that we hope for or if it was missing the things that we had longed for, every glass has enough of Jesus Christ to sustain them. And no matter what we find filling our life, there is reason to be thankful for the very breath in our lung, for the very awareness that we have as we are living and breathing creations of God. I want to challenge us to be thankful and to be conscious and thinking about the things that we give. Look with me at Luke chapter 17. I'll be reading verse 11 through 19. This is the passage of Scripture that talks about Jesus healing the ten men of leprosy. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was the Samaritan, the scripture tells us. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner. Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. It's a passage of scripture that we have heard many times. In fact, I think we have heard this in the month of November more than we've heard it any other time. It's a very common text around this time of year. But it speaks to us about a very uncommon thankfulness, at least in this passage, and I would suggest that it's uncommon in the culture around us as well. There's some important things in the passage that could be easily overlooked. Verse 11, Jesus was traveling along the border of Galilee and Samaria. I, I think this has great significance for us as we try to get at the heart of how the original hearers would have heard this account. Jesus conducted much of his ministry in this area, and he had quite a reputation in this geographical area. And in verse 18, Jesus expresses this concern. Was there no one else found to give praise to God except this foreigner, except this Samaritan? What was the point of this highlight in this account that Luke gives? See, there's a, a difference between the Jews and the Samaritans. And we find it in other passages of Scripture. And we find that it is something that was very obvious in their culture. may not be so obvious to us today, but a reminder for us that the Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other. Samaritans were considered pagans. They were considered half-breeds. They were the people from the other side of the track, those that were kept at arm's length. Jews would go to great lengths to bypass Samaria. They would do whatever they could to not associate with them or that piece of land that they would inhabit. Even though they had common roots and heritage together, they would feel that they had nothing in common with them at all. 
Some things brought nine Jews and one Samaritan together. And, and one of those things that brought them together is important for us to look at and what it means for us in Thanksgiving tonight. What did they have in common? Uh, the third thing on your list there, it's the first thing they had in common, is their common affliction. Leprosy is what we read, if we hear in our text that they were afflicted with together. And this common uniting factor was their affliction. Leprosy was one of the most feared and dreaded illnesses of the time because there was no cure, there was no real treatment. And, and really, the biblical leprosy is not the clinical leprosy we know today. It was many different skin, rashes, irritations, infections that had no cure that were lumped into this big grouping of skin diseases that led to not only pain, but eventually death. The fear and anxiety around it is like the illnesses we have today, maybe more likened to the AIDS epidemic. The term leprosy used in the Bible, as I said, it's a wide variety of things, but it had a very uniting factor in the understanding of its contagion and an understanding of how serious in the death sentence that it brought. Verse 12 tells us that the ten lepers stood at a distance. They had understood that they had to keep a distance of a minimum of six feet from anyone else. And when someone would be passing by, if they could hear someone that was not a part of their gathering of those who were ill, they would call out to them, stay away, unclean. I am a leper. This was the common understanding of the people who were hearing the telling of this real life account. This minimum of six feet kept them away from family members. It kept them away from friends. It kept them away from what job they used to have. It isolated them from everybody around them. Furthermore, the lepers were not allowed to even live within the city walls. They were banished outside the city. Cast out completely, avoided at all costs by everyone. They called out unclean was a reminder that they were separate. This common thing, this uniting factor they had was this affliction. But their commonality didn't stop there. It goes on. The next one on your list there is their common need for mercy. They called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Have mercy on us. Verse 13, we see that there is this no known treatment and their cry for mercy was the first thing to their lips. The Jews saw this disease as a curse from God. And it was more than just a physical death sentence. It appeared to be by many a thought of a spiritual death sentence as well. Their cry for mercy would ring out and they would be united in their need. Forgetting what they did not deserve. They called out together in unison. Their common affliction and their common need for mercy also leads us to understand their common faith. They must have heard the authority of Jesus' healing and they must have heard the rumors of what he had done in that area since he ministered in that geographic location for many times. They've heard no doubt of the compassion of this rabbi, but they had a faith that united them. See, the law stated that if someone's leprosy was in remission, if they thought that it had gone away miraculously somehow, they were to go to the priest, the, the official, for an inspection, and they would allow them to determine if it was really gone or not. 
All ten demonstrated that they had faith because when Jesus told them to go, they turned around and they walked towards the priests and they were moving towards that inspection before they even had experienced the healing. They didn't question Jesus' command. They didn't say, show me proof, but they moved in expectation of the healing that was offered for them. Their common affliction, their common need for mercy, their common faith leads us to their common cleansing. In verse 14 it tells us, as they went, they were cleansed. They all received their healing together. Even though nine Jews and one Samaritan had so many things in common, Jesus highlights and he points out there is a difference. There's something uncommon about the Samaritan. They responded differently from the others. Something separated them again. The Samaritan's uncommon thankfulness separated him from the nine other Jews. In verse 16 we read that he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And this is key because the Samaritan's uncommon thankfulness, it was what made him whole. It's what made him well. See, Jesus healed all ten and he touched all ten, but it clearly tells us that this Samaritan was the only one who received this blessing that he was made whole. What does this mean for us tonight? I think there's some striking similarities between the story that we've read and that we've thought about and then ourself, our culture today. We have a lot of things in common with the people that we'll be gathering around. It's some related by blood, others related by adoption, some related by our love of this gathering of families, others we are united by our common frustration and dread of the family gathering. But make no mistake, there is a common affliction that uh, affects every single person. Sin and its disease in our heart has not left any human other than Jesus unaffected. There is this common bond with every person you lock eyes with that the evils of Satan have corrupted their life as much as it corrupts our life. And there is that Ability to unite around that common disease, that common ailment that sin brings. There is also our common faith in Jesus Christ with those who trust in Him. This understanding that He is the only answer to the sin disease problem in our life. And there can be some unity there. There should be some unity there. But there's one thing that can set us apart from others who have these common thoughts at this time of year. It's this cry for thanksgiving. It's what we find in Scripture through different books of the Bible, through different generations, through different people, through different leaders, through different gatherings, men, women, all of them give a cry for thanksgiving. The persecuted, homeless, and lost Israelites who ran from Pharaoh's army into the land that they did not know. Just over the hill they became trapped by the Red Sea and the hand of God pushed aside the waters. And the people of Israel walked across dry land and the army of Pharaoh was held back. Moses, we read, gave a song of thanksgiving to God. When he lost his livestock and his wife's respect was gone, Job cried out, The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Bless the name of the Lord forever. And he gave thanks to God in the midst of his suffering. 
when a barren womb cried out for a child, the Lord heard Hannah and gave her a son. Her heart was thrilled and she says, my heart extols the Lord. I will rejoice in his salvation. We should give thanks. Praise to the Lord from everlasting to everlasting, David sang as he danced before the Lord. Over and over again through the Psalms we find his words of thanksgiving. Praise be to the Lord of God of Israel, cried Solomon in front of the people as the temple was completed. And before Christ was laid low in the grave, Jesus ate one last supper with his disciples. He broke the bread, and the Scripture tells us he gave thanks to God. He took the cup, and he gave thanks to God. You thrill me, O Lord, for all you have done for me. I give thanks to the Lord most high. It's this understanding that it's not just something that Hallmark has come up with about Thanksgiving. It's not just this story that is tied to our American heritage in the United States, when we think about the pilgrims coming over in that first Thanksgiving here, it is far deeper than football, far more than turkey, far more than gathering around tables with families and the traditions that we have, as good as that may be. Thanksgiving is at the very heart of the way of God when He calls us to bring glory to His name, to give thanks and praise to Him. It does something in us. It's not just polite. It's not something just trendy. It does something that is freeing. It's something that the chains that hang on to us begin to crumble away when we move into modes of thanksgiving. In our final moments together, I want us to to look at four key ways that thanksgiving impacts our life, how it can change our life. Thanksgiving, not just a slogan or a thought or a season or even a tradition around the holidays, but a spirit and attitude of thanksgiving, an action of thanksgiving can bring about real change in our life. The first of these is this. Thanksgiving changes our perspective on life. When you and I give thanks, it changes how we see and what we see. 2 Corinthians 4.18 tells us, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now I want you to think about people in your life who you see this characteristic of thanksgiving in them. When you meet somebody who is really, truly thankful, it's not just what they focus on that's right in front of them, that they can be thankful in just about any situation. If Thanksgiving was just about if you are positive or negative by nature in your personality, then the Thanksgiving glass would be this ongoing debate, is it half full or half empty? But in our Thanksgiving, that changes our perspective. It's not just what's in our life that we are thankful for, though that's a good thing to be thankful for. Could we be thankful for the glass itself, for our life itself? See, regardless of what is put in or what is taken away or what is clouding and, and, and cluttering up our life or what is filling in a good way our life, we can be thankful for the very existence that He has given to us. It changes our perspective. It's not always right in front of us what we see, but when we fix our eyes on what is eternal, it changes our entire perspective in life. I don't know if you can recall talking to somebody who they knew that their moments here on earth were very short. 
it, it often happens when someone has an illness and they have journeyed for a long time and they find themselves in the final stages. The perspective that they have is, is captivating. And people of all tribes and creeds will listen closely to someone who has very few moments left on earth as they share their perspective. When we have a thankful heart, it is just like seeing the end of our life here and seeing something so far greater. It changes what we fixate on. It changes what we hang on to. And so Thanksgiving can give us a perspective that changes what we see, changes what we look at. Thanksgiving also changes our attitude. Now, I believe that this first one has to come first. I have to begin to have a new perspective on life for my attitude to be different. It's been a couple of years ago now. I don't know if you remember the study we did on a Sunday night uh, entitled, Lord, Change My Attitude. We saw that an attitude does not happen overnight, and you don't get out of a bad attitude overnight either. In fact, you have to displace the bad attitude with a positive attitude and things that will bring a wholeness to that. And so Thanksgiving, when we begin to fixate our mind on things other than what is just in front of us, it brings about a change in our attitude. Not always overnight, but make no mistake, if this becomes a pattern of our life, it should change us. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is one more of those portions of scripture i think that we like to uh pull out our white out and just take out a word i'm not telling you to do that i'm just telling you what i think we do we shouldn't but i think we kind of do it at least mentally i will give thanks for this is god's will for you in christ jesus we don't like this little phrase in all circumstances it's not hard to be thankful at thanksgiving time uh, there may be some circumstances that make it more challenging more than this year than other years, and I'm not trying to negate that, but I'm saying it doesn't take that much effort to go around the table and say, tell us one or two things that you're thankful for. But it is, it is a whole other matter for you to say that, that I can give thanks in all circumstances. Does that mean that I am denying the reality of truth no it is saying that i am thankful for more than just what is in the glass i'm thankful for the glass itself no matter what comes no matter what hits me i can be thankful in all circumstances it's an attitude that comes from a new perspective in life that god brings when we are thankful see god calls us to be thankful not just because he he wants us to be grateful but he wants the change to fall off of our life where there can be this weight of of a get-even spirit of bitterness of of a spirit of a victim of of being under the weather now, i remember my grandpa used to love <laughs> to say this over and over i'm not even quite sure why he liked to say it so much but he said you've heard people say that if you're under the weather he says i don't understand that what are you doing don't stay under there and then he would laugh as if it was the funniest joke in the world I learned quickly that I was to laugh when he would say that, and I didn't really think it was that funny, but it, it stuck with me. When you feel under the weather, don't stay there. It doesn't mean that you're not ill. It doesn't mean that you don't feel good. It just means don't stay there. Allow 
a thankful heart to give you a new perspective, to help you see things beyond what you're experiencing. Allow a thankful heart to give an attitude change for you. And, and we see that Thanksgiving will not only change our perspective and change our attitude, Thanksgiving changes the way we pray. It changes our prayer life. Now, here's one that I, I think is interesting. When we think about praying, most Christians come up to a wall after about five or ten minutes of prayer and then they feel like they're out. It's interesting to me that, that when we read Paul's challenge to pray without ceasing, some of us take this up, and this is a very true call for us to pray all the time, but we say, well, I don't want to spend any extended moments in prayer because I'm just going to pray all day long. But if I'm going to pray longer than five or ten minutes, I get very uncomfortable. You see, when we have a thankful heart, it begins to shift from the things that I ask for or the things that I have to pray for to this open-ended conversation of thanksgiving to God. If your attitude has changed, if your perspective has changed, how can we look at any amount of time as being more than enough to be thankful to God? If we would sit here and take the advice that's been handed down to us from other generations to count your blessings, name them one by one. Anybody remember that Sunday school song? What would happen if we would take that literally? What if we would begin to count, if we begin to list, if we begin to examine the very blessings that God has given to us? Yes, the water that's in the glass, there's many blessings there, but the glass itself is, I was just sharing with you, it just dawned on me. I have not thanked God for my foot at all. Ever. That's the problem. When you preach with ADD, you begin to preach and you think something else at the same time. And this is just letting you into my brain. What's going on right now? There are many blessings that God has given to me. I have never said, God, thank you for my foot. I've heard stories of people who don't have a foot that appears to be natural or normal and the challenges it causes in their life. I've heard stories of what happens if you lose your big toe and it affects your balance. But, but I can choose to be thankful for my foot. I had a professor in seminary who, one of the assignments he gave, he loved to pride himself on weird and strange assignments. He said, I want you to go and I want you to write out a, a prayer to God thanking him for a body part. Now, I didn't choose my foot. I chose my lungs. But it was the weirdest assignment ever. And you were to have a conversation with that body part, telling them how thankful to God you were for them. I told you this professor was weird. But what began to happen is we began to see that there is a, an atmosphere of thanksgiving that can take on a whole other dimension in our prayer life. And, and it begins to change the way we pray. It's not just rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, now I dive in and I'm ready to eat. It's not just play this game of, well, I don't want to be the person to have to thank God for food because I want to dive in and eat. It shifts and it says, let's hold off on the food. Let's begin to talk about how thankful I am. I just don't feel that way. Well, I know you don't. Well, I just don't see life that way. I know you don't. It starts in the sequential order. When I begin to have a pattern of thanksgiving, it gives me a new perspective. I see things that I didn't see. And when I see things that I didn't see, and I see the eternal things that God gives, it gives me another attitude. And here at this moment, a change will happen in the way that we pray. We'll, we'll begin to love to recall the blessings that God has given to us. A, a final thought, for sure, not the only one, but the final one for us tonight, is... How thanksgiving will not only give us a new perspective, it will not only change our attitude, it will not only change the way we pray. Thanksgiving changes you, it changes me. 
We cannot stay the same and embrace a lifestyle of thanksgiving. John 3.30 has been a life verse for me. It says, he must become greater and I must become less. Another translation says, he must increase and I must decrease. If this is taking place, you and I cannot be the same. We must be a new person, a new creation in God. And when you and I live thankfully, it changes who we are. I challenge us tonight to value these moments we're going to have with family at Thanksgiving. Traditions can be good. There's a few traditions that I hope that we have. At the Wise Heart House, there is the Wise Heart Holiday Classic. Back in 1995, I started this tradition for our family, and we played games every year, but I noticed this trend that was very disturbing to me. Nobody remembered how often I won the games. So I decided to pool my money together as a high school student and purchase a plaque that would have the engraving of who won the holiday classic for that given year. It was with purely selfish motives, I I confess. But the tradition started, and each and every year we gather around the table and we vote on which games will make it into this constitution for that year. And we have serious competition, and I love things like that that are traditions. But what if Thanksgiving would be more than just your favorite tradition, more than just your favorite meal, more than just whatever it is that you're going to do this month together? What if it began began to highlight for us again an on-purpose time to examine how thankful we are all year long? Could we set up some traditions together that would not just say, name one or two things that we're thankful for, but could we begin to say, how do you see life differently because of how thankful you are to God. What is He showing you that is eternal, that's not just temporary? I want to suggest that it's good to thank God for the stuff we have, for the events we have experienced, for the people in our lives. They're worthy of thanksgiving. But could we thank God for more than just what's in the glass? Could we thank Him for our life? Could we begin to see then an attitude begin to take shape in the family. Where Thanksgiving would be a part of our vernacular, the way we would talk, the way we would say things, and could it begin to shift the way that we viewed prayer, and could it possibly bring a change in us? As we close tonight, that's my prayer. As we've been looking about the fractured family on Sunday mornings, we're going to have a very important week this next week as we look at reconciliation in the home. I believe that when real reconciliation happens in the home, this subject of thanksgiving will take on more than just a holiday that we buy stuff for or that we ramp up to get ready for the consumer Christmas. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this very common scripture that we have heard tonight of ten lepers who were healed one comes back to be thankful. I'm perplexed, Jesus, by how you said you, you made him well. Giving us this idea that while others had healing, only one was made whole. Lord, as we look at the fractured family and how we need reconciliation to take place, and we're calling out to you for healing in our families. Could you use this gift 
of the command to be thankful to free us up? Would you show us what it looks like to see beyond ourselves and to have a new perspective? Would you begin to displace our bad attitude with the good attitude as we focus on being thankful? Would you begin to change the way that we pray and talk with you and how we view prayer, that it's not just a, a rush to get through some things or some reciting of some phrases that have some kind of supernatural power, but could we enjoy our time counting our blessings and thanking you? And Lord, in short, would you change me? Would you change us? We confess that we are thankful for the salvation you've brought to us. We are thankful for the sanctification that you've brought to us. But God, we don't want to be stagnant. I pray that we will continually be washed and renewed day by day by your truth. I ask these things in the strong name of Jesus. Not out of hope or wish. Not out of effort turning over a new leaf, but out of the grace and strength that you give, Jesus, I say amen. Let it be so. Amen.